High Nephew community. This is Aaron Emmel with the Nephew Medical Team uh, here with our November episode of the Hot Topics in Nephrology podcast featuring Mark Newman. As always, we're happy to have Mark with us here this month to talk about some new hot topics in the nephrology space. And today our topic is going to revolve around CMS raising payments for dialysis services uh, and whether or not they're raising it enough to be compared to the higher costs uh, required to deliver care. And Mark is also going to touch on the California uh, vote to defeat the ballot measure to stiffen facility management rules uh, in regards to dialysis organizations. So thanks for joining us today. And I think we're going to learn a lot here from Mark. So Mark, uh, to start with, what does CMS have in store for dialysis providers in 2023? Okay, thanks, Aaron. Uh, so let's start with the basics on how these proposed rules come about. Um, in the Usually in the early summer, uh, CMS will release a proposed rule for the PPS, which is the uh, prospective provider system. Uh, this rule, uh, usually uh, the agency then accepts comments and suggestions from members of the renal community, and then puts together a final rule in early November. So this year, uh, the final rule came out right at the time of the American Society of Nephrology's Kidney Week. And we know that's a very busy time. And also during that time, of course, they released the rules for the Medicare physician fee schedule and the new extended coverage for immunosuppressive drugs for kidney transplant patients. And we know we've, been, we've just discussed that before on our podcast, and, and we'll do a follow-up on that in January. Um, <clears throat> so it was really a busy time period for this, uh, for this final rule to come out. Yeah, that's a lot of information to absorb uh, in a short time. So what is the bottom line for all this with dialysis providers? Right. So so providers will receive, the good news is, the providers will receive a Medicare payment increase. Uh, the new payment will be $265.57 per treatment for patients on dialysis. And that covers both dialysis performed in a hospital-based and freestanding uh, facility uh, starting in January. Hospital-based meaning if a facility is owned by a hospital um, and uh, is on the grounds of the hospital, that's considered hospital-based. And of course, freestanding covers pretty much everybody else, all the major dialysis providers, physician-owned facilities, et cetera. So that represents about a $7.67 increase above the payment of uh, $257.90 for the current year, so we're in 2022. Uh, there's a formula on how they derive this payment. And remember, this is the new, well, it's not new anymore, it's almost, it's over 10 years old now, but this is the bundle payment that CMS initiated in 2011. So all costs, uh, most drugs, lab tests, treatments, of course, and any other ancillary expenses that a provider, uh, in essence, can't convince CMS should be built outside the bundle are included in that payment. <clears throat> this payment is also the same for patients treated in outpatient facilities for acute kidney injury and for home to hemodialysis or, or PD. So those three uh, uh, dialysis treatments uh, are also covered by that same payment. Well, uh, as always, I'm sure people are happy that there are increases, so that's good. But what are providers saying in regards to, is this enough? Right. So, so the good news about the PBS is, you know, there, there have been increases pretty much every year 
since the bundle payment came about. Um, but, and as, as uh, CMSOs includes in its final rule, it tells you how much they're gonna be spending over the next year. So some quick factoids on that. CMS projects that the updates for calendar year 2023 will increase their total payments to all ESRD outpatient and hospital-based facilities by 3.1% compared with last year, or this current year, I'm sorry, uh, according to their fact sheet on the final rule, and will pay $7.9 billion to approximately 7,800 ESRD facilities for providing renal dialysis services. Now, we, as we know, the cost for dialysis patients goes beyond just the treatment. There's hospitalizations, of course, and uh, other costs, um, particularly, you know, patients who are have a number of comorbid conditions. So the cost to Medicare is going to be much higher than that. Um, <clears throat> but let's look at that number for a second, $7.67 per, per treatment increase. Uh, because remember that this, this covers a lot. So this per treatment, you know, certainly there's facilities that have a, a number of shifts per, uh, per day. And so each treatment, of course, gets that $7 increase. But you know, as we know, you know, dialysis facilities need one main thing to keep operating, and that's electricity. And that operates the lights above, of course, but also runs the dialysis machines and just as importantly, things like the you know, reverse, reverse osmosis water treatment system, which generates the purified water. So you need the electric and you need the pure water to run your dialysis machine. And uh, providers have argued that energy costs, and as we all know this, uh, salaries, uh, products and equipment have all gone up considerably in cost over the over the last year, particularly, you know, we know about inflation and those costs. So of course that hits the medical industry as well. Um, here's what Kidney Care Partners said. Kidney Care Partners is a group that represents staff providers, manufacturers, pharma companies, and professional and patient associations. And here's what they said about the final rule. While KCP appreciates that CMS updated the payment rate for next year, it unfortunately does not address the major barriers created by the labor uh, prices facing the entire kidney care community. A 3% update does not offset the more than 8% plus increase in workforce costs that federal data indicates have occurred in the last year. It is imperative that the Medicare rates recognize the dire situation to support quality care for individuals with kidney failure who require life-sustaining dialysis treatment. So uh, yes, when you look at that three point, um, uh, where were we at, three, uh, 3% increase, um, it really doesn't cover uh, a lot of what dialysis providers are faced today. Uh, we know there's a nursing shortage and nurses' salaries and costs have gone up, um, and there's certainly other expenses as well. As we mentioned, energy costs have gone up too. Uh, some of the economic distress was also seen in the earnings report that we saw from Davina and Persenius this past quarter. Both companies said revenue was down for payment services. Uh, primarily because of high mortality rates from COVID-19. So th those cares, um, those stations that were taking care of patients uh, prior to COVID uh, were empty in many cases because of the high mortality among those patients. And new patients have simply not filled in uh, the void. Uh, so both their supply and labor costs have gone up, but the revenue from treatments has gone down. And of course, uh, you know, dialysis providers do charge commercial health plans more than Medicare rates. But that gap is narrowing too. So you're really seeing a 
squeeze for these providers, uh, particularly for groups like DaVita, which are only dialysis treatment only. In other words, Fresenius also manufactures supplies and equipment. Um, and um, if you're in one business or one you know, sec sector, which is providing treatments, you don't have a lot of other options. Yeah, I can see how this may be challenging, uh, especially for those that are less diversified. So is there anything on the horizon to help outset or offset this imbalance for dialysis providers? Right. So there may be a, a genuine slowdown in the number of people who need dialysis each year, uh, perhaps because more patients are getting better care in the earlier stages of CKD. So, you know, we were seeing roughly about 100,000 patients each year who were starting on dialysis. Uh, and that number has has gone down slowly. And it could be, some people are attributing it to the fact that, well, we have more patients who are getting care in the earlier stages and thus are avoiding dialysis longer, or maybe even getting a preemptive transplant. So there may be just simply fewer patients coming to the door at a dialysis clinic. Um, but the other influence, of course, uh, is that in terms of in-center treatment, both of these providers, namely Fresenius um, and Vita and, and others like US Renal and DCI, they are all pushing uh, for home dialysis, which is part of the Advancing American uh, Kidney Health. And we've talked about that a number of times on our podcast. So they're in essence doing these, the, they're in essence pushing those patients out of their facilities, out of their bricks and mortar where they have heavy investments. So, it's, they still get the, the treatment payment, uh, but they've taken patients away from their facilities uh, and where, where they've um, invested a lot of money, as we mentioned. So that center may not be, may be more costly to run. You still have to have the nurses and the staff. So there's going to be some interesting developments, I think, over the next five years in regard to how we move forward uh, and, um, and how these providers who are so uh, engaged in the you know, in-center treatment, which is still about 80% of dialysis patients, and how they're going to adjust to that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how the balance sheets for some of these organizations look in the, in the fourth quarter um, and what implications there are going forward. So great updates there, Mark. Uh, before we close out our November episode here, are there any other updates you want to share with us? Yeah, there's a story that we covered a couple of months ago on the Nephew uh, podcast. And it regarded a, um, a ballot initiative in California that was asking voters to um, make a decision on whether dialysis facilities in California should have more stringent um, management uh, requirements. And um, it focused the last couple of years. In fact, this is the second year in a row that they basically used the same language and it requires it would require that facilities have somebody uh, on staff, uh, either a physician or a, or a uh, physician assistant, uh, be on staff uh, and be in the clinic, you know, 24/7. And um, there are other requirements as well. Um, one of them was interesting, which was if a physician has a five percent or more ownership in that facility, uh, that information could be shared with the patient. Uh, there was also a requirement that all infection-related uh, incidences are reported to the State Board of Health, and, um, and there were a couple of others. But the bottom line is this was supported, has been supported by a group called the Service 
Employees International Union, United Healthcare Workers West. So this is a union that's been trying to uh, get into the dialysis business in California and unionize workers, and they've never been shy about acknowledging that. So one of the ways they would expect to do that is to start working on more state regulations for these dialysis providers. And so uh, this ballot question came up again in November, uh, which we had previously covered. And uh, in fact, it went down again uh, for the second year in a row, pretty convincingly. Uh, the numbers are, here are the numbers. And it was called the Dialysis Clinic Requirement Initiative, or Prop 29. And it went down pretty heavily. It was 69.6% .6 of the voters said no, and 30% um, said yes. Uh, and here's a quote from one of the California nephrologists who's been involved in this campaign. His name is Ryan Wong. He's from the East Bay Nephrology Medical Group. There is no good reason that dialysis patients should be put in harm's way uh, year after year by this special interest union. Voters made the co compassionate choice and voted to protect patients. Uh, and that was from a press release from a group called No on 29. Uh, Stop yet another dangerous dialysis proposition. And this is a political action committee, uh, which is funded by the major dialysis provider. So uh, in, in essence, the, the, the dialysis providers don't want this because it's more regulation and, uh, and nobody wants that in any, uh, you know, from any state or uh, uh, from any state. And, uh, and there were some questions about the validity of all this because there haven't been really any concerns about the quality of care in California, there haven't been, you know, cases where you might expect that this would be required. So clearly, it's a union's efforts at trying to organize uh, dialysis workers in that state. Whether they're going to pursue it again next year, we'll see. You know, the dialysis providers themselves have spent millions of dollars on defeating this proposition every year, and so and and the union, of course, has also spent millions of dollars promoting it. So you could argue. This really doesn't have a lot of validity, um, but nonetheless, we'll see what happens in 12 months and see if they pursue it again. Well, that's uh, definitely some good information there, Mark. So thanks as usual for the updates. I hope the nephew community has enjoyed this. And as always, please stay tuned for our monthly podcast where Mark keeps us up to date on the new happenings in the kidney care space. And we'll look forward to having you back in December, Mark, to maybe wrap up the year a little bit, talk about some of the topics we've gone over this year, uh, summarize any updates from those, and, and we'll certainly look forward to uh, all of the news and exciting things that I'm sure are going to come our way in 2023. So thanks, as always, for your expertise, uh, and thank everyone for tuning in, and we'll see you back next month.